When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody. Tim McKernan, Dan McLaughlin with you here on the live from spring training program presented by Design Air Heating and Cooling. The number one train dealer in the Midwest. Dan, you know what it is? It's hard to stop a train. Good to see you, man. Great to see you. Thank you for coming by the home office in Florida. This is uh, Hot Take Heaven. This is Hot Take Heaven. Florida, and I anticipate a lot of hot takes, <laughs> a lot of questions, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, when you first came to me and you said, uh, let's try something different. I was like, ah, I'm not so sure about it because right. I'm not really uh, inclined to be, you know, a guy that gets on Facebook or many you're not, you're not on Facebook for the record. Many, I'm not. So, I, you know, when it comes to technology, I don't know a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, much less anything. Like, right. for instance, I did a thing yesterday. What did you do? Well, behind the scenes, I did this little thing on my Twitter feed. And I get to promote my Twitter feed, I guess, because I'm yeah, on Twitter. And um, let me show you here what they did. They, they put this little thing where we're so bored, so we took the... Uh, we took the uh, the three uh, cars. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, and I don't know how he did that, but I don't know how to do it. And I said, well, make sure I get this on my Twitter feed so you can kind of see what it is. So what do we have going on there? We have red, uh, blue, and blue rock. Yeah, and so uh, they were able to do this. I had no idea how to do it, but uh, you know what? We were able to do it and put it on, and um, I had no idea how to put it on even Twitter. So <laughs> I had them do that for me, too. But I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're looking forward to doing it. A lot of people I know have questions regarding the Cardinals. I was saying this on the radio show uh, and on the, the, the first one that we did with Derek Gould last week, and that is this is a weird spring training in the sense that it is the first time in a very long time, probably going back to the first time I came down here with KMOV in 2000, where I feel like a lot of people in the fan base are... Fired up. Fired up. That's yeah. a good word. It's a little, yeah, yeah, broad because that's, like, we'll just tweet out a clip of a, a sound bite and people go, screw that. That's right. not the way. That, so there's frustration. I think it's because, A, the Cubs are the ones that they're chasing, and B, yeah. uh, there was a sense that they were going to do more this offseason than, at least at this point, they have done. And that's what I think is going on. Well, I, I also think that fans want the traditional closer. I, I think that's a big part of it, too. And... You know, we, we have, and me included, have said a lot, you know, about the fact that the team is moving into a new TV deal. There's going to be additional funds. they got Ballpark Village. That's doing extremely well. We're drawing 3.4 million people through the turnstiles. So you, you get the feeling that, okay, there's a lot of money coming in. Why isn't the money being spent? And I, I do think that that's a false narrative in that they have spent the money. It's whether or not you think it's wisely. Like, even last year, you look back to... Dexter Fowler and Brett Cecil. Cecil had a tough first year. I thought Fowler's year actually was pretty good. Yeah, numbers-wise, it was good. The yeah, consistency with the health was probably yeah, the biggest factor. But I, I thought he was pretty good, especially his power numbers. Um, and then I look at what they've done this year. They completely revamped their bullpen. And I've always said this. The hardest thing to do for any GM, uh, outside of having a role as Chapman as your closer, where you know you have kind of a given, right. the guy's going to throw 102, right? Other people go up and they go down. They go up and they go down. So I've always been, you know, of the belief that you wait and see. And I know that's probably not what fans want to hear, but, I mean, you look at the addition of a Bud Norris. You look at Luke Gregerson. you got Tyron Lyons coming back. You've got Matt Bowman and some givens that you you think that you got. And my whole thing is let it play out. I mean, go back to 2011, and it was Brian Augenstein and guys oh, like that. I heard that name. I mean, they had some guys that you would think, oh. 
what, what are they doing? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the bullpen got revamped, and by the end of the year, it was pretty good. So I look at, like, three to four dates, if you can bear with me here. We talk freely, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a free-for-all. Oh, it's a total free-for-all. It's an absolute it's free Facebook Live. Yeah, the questions are coming in here. You're welcome to post your questions. We'll get to as many of them as we can. So what are the three dates you were saying you look at? So the first date was today. Uh, when pitchers and catchers report and you have kind of an idea what the 40-man roster looks like and who the, the invites are. Into spring training would be my next one yeah. that I take a hard look at. My third one would be two months in. I like to see where the team is at that point and then at the trade deadline. Yeah. So, you know, you've got all those kind of markers to say, well, here we're at opening of spring training. Is it where we're going to be at the end of the year? No, I can guarantee it's not going to be where it is. There's going to be injuries. There might be trades, could be a great year, could be a bad year. You don't know. But then at the beginning of the season on March 28th in, in New York when we play the Mets, um, that's going to be a different looking team than maybe the one we have right now mm -hmm. because there's guys with options and there's guys that may impress in spring that you're not thinking of right now. And then you look at two months in, you say, man, the guys that we thought were going to be pretty good, some of those guys maybe haven't been there, they have options, they can go back down and maybe we can get the shuttle going from Memphis with a reliever or an outfielder. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the trade deadline. And, and at that point, then you know where you're at and you say, well, okay, if we're a pretty good team or a bubble team, do we go for it? Does it make sense financially? Uh, does it make sense? Are we really good enough when we look at ourselves honestly? Or it's one of those situations where you say, we're not that good and we sell off some of our parts. I'm curious with all the, how many years now have you been in the booth with the Cardinals? Uh, this is 21 coming up. 21 years. Yeah. So something else. Uh, have you been able to get a gauge on a feel for how good the team is when you're in Jupiter, Florida, and then how it winds up playing out at the end of the year? I mean, because we've, we've seen multiple great Cardinals. Can teams. I say yes or no? Yeah, I'm sure, of course. Well, I, I think when you look back, and you're, I know where you're going with the great Cardinal teams, when you had, uh, and we didn't know Jimmy's first year, but Jim Edmonds was established after 2000 in St. Louis. All of a sudden, you had this guy named Pujols who was just ridiculous. You went out and got Scott Rowland. So when you had that nucleus yeah. of players, I think you, you, you knew going into spring training, this is the team to beat, not only in the division, because the division wasn't that good. Right. You know, Cubs weren't spending like they're spending. It was the Cardinals and Astros every year. That's it. That's right. And and now it, the, the playing field has changed, so to speak. I think the um, the basic idea of, I get distracted with this. <laughs> that's, what happened, that's what happens. I'll turn it this way. That's what happens to Larry Nickel when he does his recaps. And I can't believe you're not watching those, by the way. You have no idea what you're missing out on on Monday nights. Who says I'm not? Ah, that's right. <laughs> but I think those teams, yes, you knew going in, that's a really good team. These teams, it's wait and see. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's, I always say that you'd like to have, any team would like to have predictability especially with the starting rotation going into a season. So I can say every fifth day, Joe Blow is going to give me five innings, right. five to seven, and I, I'm looking at 10 to 15 wins, you know. Um, I just don't think that you have that right now. Potentially, it's really good, or it could be okay. Guys are kind of learning, and we're going to get along as we move along in the season. But, uh, again, I, I think it's a wait and see. I like this team. I know people are going to go say I'm, you know, the cat and rights holder. <laughs> That's fine. But I, I like it more than I think the, the negatives that are, are being thrown out there. I'm fascinated by the season because of all the intrigue from the fan base being polarized, really for the first time in a long time. I, I'm left out an element that I think contributes to this. I mentioned the Cubs. I mentioned that the Cardinals, I think people thought they were going to do more. And I think the Cardinals said themselves uh, that they were going to go outside their comfort zone. The other thing that's super unique this year Mm -hmm. is that we're sitting here on February 15th and there are a number of top-of-the-line free agents out there. If you remember, it's changing. Isn't that so weird? Ten years ago when Kyle Loesch came here, and I think it was late February or maybe early March, it was like a huge deal. Mid-March, actually, I think. Huge deal. And, and now you have J.D. Martinez still out there, Hosmer, Moustakis, Arietta, Lynn, uh, Lynn, and then also Greg Holland. And Cardinal mm -hmm. fans look at that and go, well, infield's a bit of a question mark. Maybe that's a solution. Back into the bullpen's a bit of a question mark. Maybe there's a solution. Starting rotation's a bit of a question mark. There are some solutions. And so when you see the Cubs do the U Darvish deal, and granted, Bud Norris was not a response to U Darvish. He was more depth and can play a different variety of roles. It so. just it added to Darvish frustrated people. The Norris thing just added to the narrative, even if it's inaccurate, but it did. Yeah. And then if the Brewers were to go get Arietta, for example, I think then it tips it even even more so. So that's a unique circumstance where there are still players out there 
who I think fans feel like could certainly help the club. Absolutely. And I, I totally get that. I really do. Um, when you go back to the mid-2000s and the club it, led by John Mosellock and Jeff Luna was put on board and we saw the transition from Walt Jockety to, to Mo, um, the, the club was analytics-based all the way back in. And then the rest of baseball really caught up. It, it is fascinating. It's too much to go into a a Facebook Live, but how they draft a player and the things that they look at and are able to say, okay, this guy plays in this conference, these are the, the conditions that he played in, this is the competition that he played against, and this is what we project with that player. Don't look at that, look at me. So anyway, <laughs> so, so they, they have been doing this a long time, right? And so baseball has caught up. I mean, every team is doing some sort of analytics. And the Cardinals are an analytically based team. And so what my, the point that I'm trying to get to is that more and more now teams are, are saying, you know, why are we paying for past performance? It's very simple. Yeah. And I know it's a generalization that many fans have heard, but why are you paying for past performance when this is a young man's game? And I think that's something that a lot of people don't pay attention to, but when you have taken out uh, PEDs out of the game and you'd like to think it's a clean game, um, the guys that were 32 and 33 and 34 that you give a four or five yeah. year contract, when they're 37, 38, they're not, if they're on PD, PEDs, they weren't 37, 38 year olds. They were younger versions of what right. they're supposed to be. And so I think that has done uh, uh, a lot of good for the game. But from the perspective of an old, older player, it's damaged that because those guys are just not getting paid for past performance. And the, the the guys that are down the hall and are on their computers all day are cranking this stuff out and showing you data that says, this is not smart to do this. Now, I'm not talking about any of the free agents that are out there. I'm just talking in a, in a general perspective that when you give guys long-term deals past the age of 31, more times than not, it's probably not going to work out. And that is what we see a number of these guys who are out there right now sitting going, yeah. I can't believe that this is the case, because 10 years ago they would have been gold. Yes. But now, at 31, it's considered to be a high-risk maneuver. I also think this, and I'm curious... Well, let, me, let me say this, though, too. I, I think, though, there is a place for those guys. Now, but it's, it's not, just not six-year deals. Yeah, and it's, and it's not my money. Like, if I was a team, and I, I felt, man, I'm loaded going into this team. I think we're going to be really good, and this is the piece that I need to get there. I mean, who's to say that an owner, and it takes one, to step up and say, that's the guy. Let's mm -hmm. just go get him. We overpaid for him, and if the back end of the deal isn't good, so be it. We're right. going to live with it. Right. You know? But he's gotten us over the hump. I, I think that the, one of the things, and I could be wrong on this, and maybe it's just a convenient excuse, I don't know, the Cardinals in the front office value their young pitchers, many of whom fans, including myself, have not seen pitch way more than the fan base does, in part because of what I just said. The fan base hasn't seen them. So I'm talking about Hicks, yep. Hudson, yep. Helsley. We saw a little bit of Flaherty. It wasn't great, but at the same time, we've seen plenty of guys come up in, in their first year, and they kind of struggle. Adam Wainwright would be one of those examples if you want to go way back. And so, therefore, they're hesitant to make a move from a pitching standpoint because they value these young arms who aren't like three years removed from possibly being here. They're, they could be here, some of them, this year. Do you think that is... Well, I, that's part of the... Not to take the question, I think that's where part of the game is changing, where the development of players now, because the game is getting so much younger, that, that teams are saying, you know what? Uh, where we may have, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago, seasoned a guy a little bit longer in the minor yeah, leagues, yeah, yeah. that time's up. They bring him up. You come up. Yeah. I mean, if they think that you're going to be a guy that can compete at this level and have a little success, you're coming up. And those days of, of waiting and waiting and waiting and making sure everything's right, I think those days are over because the premium has been, has been put on young uh, players, in particular young pitching and guys that are throwing 100 miles an hour. And they're all over the place now. I mean, look across the board in baseball, how many young guys make an impact in the yeah, game some way or another. Yeah. So I think that they push them, and it's not just the Cardinals. It's just, it's a, I think, just a business-wide thing that's happening right now where youth is taking over the game. We welcome you to send your questions in. We have Facebook Live open. Okay. Yeah, there's a beverage right there. I have my vitamin water. I heard I your uh, son. A few you can hear him? Yeah. Bring him on down, Anna Marie. Bring him on. Come on down. <laughs> Come on in, Jameson. Uh, submit your questions on Facebook Live. I, I know we're on Periscope as well on Twitter, but I have Facebook Live open uh, for the questions. 
Uh, Dan, how far away do you think the Triple H trio and Weaver slash Reyes are to being staples in the rotation? What is your? How much have you seen the Triple H operation? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all three really talented. Uh, it's a tough question to answer because I, Reyes, I think I haven't been as excited about a prospect. Uh, the only other one I was really excited about like this was Oscar Tabares. Really. Um, and now it's it's Reyes. I, I just think well, that's that saying something. In 21 years, that's that that's those two names. He's the the top guy that I can think of pitching wise that I've ever been more excited about to watch. I saw enough, and I know it wasn't a lot, but I saw enough a year ago to say, or two years ago, I guess it was. Um, man, this guy is really special. Yeah. And then he talked to people around the game. Matter of fact, I was talking to a, a, a broadcaster the other day, and and he works for a team that's in our division. And he said, man, I've never seen a guy like that. And this guy's been in the game for almost 40 years. He said it's just incredible really? how free and easy the ball explodes out of his hand, and he's got more than just a fastball. And he said also it looks like he's got a clue what he's doing, which mm-hmm. is true. Um, in terms of Weaver, boy, he had that seven, eight-game stretch last year yes. that was, you know, caught your attention. Where he's, he's, you know, you look at him, he's not a big, physical, imposing guy, but he, he's got a fastball in late life on his ball where he's able to pitch up in the zone where you don't see that a lot. And then uh, with Flaherty, I think Flaherty was really nervous. I, I don't know if he'd ever admit it. It was just my gut feeling. Yeah. And talking to people and just watching, it just looked like you know, he's a young guy. He was 21, and he's coming up to the big leagues, and it's like, wow. And all of a sudden, the game gets really fast on you when things sometimes don't go the way that you want them. Um, I think this spring training could be really good for him. And, and so that's why I'm not dodging the question. I just want to see them get both those guys, and Flaherty more so than we have a little bit more seasoning. And then see once they have that experience under their belt, you get an off season, you kind of think about it, you get away from it, then you come back in and it's kind of a, a different person. Sometimes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. With, with regard to the rotation as a whole, I mean, you have, you have Weaver, you have Martinez, you know you have that. We had Reyes on the Ryan Kelly morning after this morning. And Great shape, isn't he? Oh, my God. He's yeah, like, looks like a different guy. Lean, he really does. He truly yeah. does. And we asked him. Because I kind of get the sense that the Cardinals wouldn't mind seeing him at the back end of the bullpen. I feel like that's... And then we asked him about it, and he doesn't sound like he's real interested, but he's not saying it in a way where he's saying, I wouldn't do it. I didn't, he's saying, I just want to be part of the roster and be healthy. But you get the sense, well, yeah, I mean, I don't blame yeah. him. That's where the doubt is. You know what's right? interesting, though, is that guys, um, and he's a perfect example, and I'm not saying that he said this, but I, I brought this up to somebody um, within the last, I guess, month, month and a half, right around the winter warm-up, we were talking about Reyes, and... and they said, man, the worst thing you can do is put a label on a pitcher. Like, don't say that this guy's going to be a reliever this year, and then midway through he's going to go in the rotation, or vice versa, he could be a, your closer, or he's going to be your setup man. Um, I, I don't think that guys like that. And I, I do think the majority of pitchers, if not all of them, if they're honest, would say, yeah, I'd like to start, because that's where it seems like the money's going. I look at his situation like this, Tim. I think... If he goes in the rotation, and a lot depends on what you get out of the first couple of months, like we were talking about, you know, you, you see the first two months and see if guys struggle, see if there's a fit in the bullpen for somebody, whatever. There's a million different scenarios. I think his best fit might be in the in the starting rotation. Now, and I know people would say, boy, he looked great as a closer, and I completely agree. I think he'd be an awesome fit there. But when you have such a special talent, and it's not to say that you're not with, with kid gloves with every guy that's coming back from an injury and just because he's a special talent, you say, well, we're going to treat him so much differently. They're going to do that with everybody. They're going to treat them all with kid gloves. But if, if you put him in the rotation, I think you know what you're getting every fifth day, which is going to be, you would like to think, five to seven innings, but it's, it's controlled. So you know every fifth day he's going to pitch, right? You know you can really uh, manipulate what you want to do with him in the time between those five days to where if you're a reliever, you know, you're going to be expected to work, ideally, Two out of three, sometimes three out of four days. Right, right. And, and you know, a guy coming off of Tommy John, I don't know if this is, I'm not a doctor, but I would assume that's probably not the best plan that you want to go into this. Um, so that's why I say you keep a really open mind with him and that I can see him in, I can see him in both roles, yeah. but rotation seems like it, it might lean that way. Yeah, I, I sense that that was the direction he would like it to go. He just wants to be 
uh, healthy. Miles Mike was... getting a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. You better believe it. I'm, I'm, a lot of them are asking, like, your favorite cut of French fry. If you have an opinion, though, you're, you're more than welcome to... Uh, favorite kind of fry? Uh, I'd have to go steak and shake, you know? I mean... You like the steak and shake absolutely. fry? Absolutely. I love the burger. Shake. I wish the fry were thicker. I understand. I like the skinny you like fries. The skinny but skinny fries, fries. I do like the big fries. <laughs> what about the waffle fry? It's, it's a good it's really, is. It's really good. <laughs> See, that's what goes on in here. It is good that I have this turned away from you. Uh, guys, why do the Cardinals hold spring training in Florida when it's 80 degrees in St. Louis in February? I believe that's an outlier day. Uh, it is I'm going to say it's an outlier. It's an outlier day. Talk uh, to, actually, just have him make sure he responds in five days. <laughs> Let me know then. Uh, guys, I'm a fan of Dan. Uh, that's from Tim Bishop, and uh, Jeff Drake wants to know if caller Dan will be calling in tonight. I don't know how you would know the answer to that question. You know, a lot of people come up to me and ask me about that guy, and uh, I've heard him on your radio show. You guys are really funny, too, in the morning. I really enjoy your program. And I hear caller Dan, and uh, he just seems to be very nervous, but he does. he's got great takes, and uh, he's just... And he goes around the day, as I notice. He doesn't yeah, anybody he, out. No, he, he, he's like a CYC game. Yeah, he, he takes care of everybody. He seems to be up to date with everything that's going on in your lives. <laughs> yeah. And uh, love my column. Yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> I love your poker column. <laughs> uh, but he's very nervous. But man, he spews some great hot takes. He does. He's wonderful. And Dan would know nothing about caller. I did Dan. hear caller Dan one time. Uh, ironically enough, I was listening in, and uh, the, uh, the caller Dan asked. Jim Edmonds, if it was true that the Players Association was going to start wearing football-type masks to protect their teeth in the outfield from nasty bumps, and he answered the question. <laughs> it was interesting. Like a serious question. Yes. God bless number 15. How great is it to be working with him, by the way? You guys... I love it. You guys... That's... I mean, I, it's a weird spot, because I don't want to put you in a weird spot. I really like that team, because yeah. Edmonds... He has such great knowledge on the game, but he when, when he was playing, he kind of he would like doing our show because he didn't want to talk baseball. Right. We wouldn't talk baseball. I'm, I'm not sure that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all there, and it's all there at like a super high level. I think he is uh, a baseball savant. I really do. Yeah. I, I think like Yachty is a baseball savant, and there are really smart people in the game and there are really smart baseball people and I'm not saying you need to be book smart to be baseball smart or vice versa um, but Jimmy like during games I will say to him and we're on Facebook live so I can kind of show him yeah. He's, he picks up like during the game he'll say to me this guy's tipping his pitches and it could be a cardinal oh, really? it could be a you know opposing um, pitcher and I said oh you know you're not picking this guy up he said oh yeah I'm picking him up I said alright next inning he's out there you know um, before the pitch comes, I want you to, you know, show me fastball, show me curveball, show me changeup, you know, just tell me what's going on. We'll pick one batter, right? And this is, and I said, I'm not going to give it away, though, on the air. I just want it for my yeah. own personal yeah. enjoyment. So uh, I'd say, you know, okay, here comes a 1-0 pitch. And I'd look right <laughs> at him, like, what, what's he going to say? And he's like, fastball, fastball, boom. Here comes a 1-0 pitch, changeup. Here's a 1-1 curveball. I mean, it was on, and he went through the whole inning and picked up everything. And so there are guys still uh, with the Cardinals and with other teams that go to Jimmy. And, and he, first of all, he's got great respect when he walks in the room. Yeah. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows uh, his career and just how talented he was. And he was ridiculously talented. Um, but they'll, they'll go ask for advice. Like, uh, I remember, I think it was Ian Desmond a few years ago, he was trying to play the outfield. He was moving yeah, to the shortstop, yeah. and Ian, you know, saw Jimmy and just said, "Hey, man, will you watch me in this series? And if you think of anything that you see, let me know. Like, tell me what you're seeing. Or I'm not positioning right. Do I need to be doing something else in my jumps? You know, whatever you whatever you think. And you know, that's the kind of respect he gets. But um, the thing that surprised me the most about Jimmy is that we we become very good friends yeah. away from the ballpark. And you know, you go out to eat and you're talking about family and life and all that kind of stuff. But how hard he worked at the game. And I think that's kind of a misconception for a lot of people because he made it look, he always had the dives and the things like that, but he'll tell you, he's like, man, I wasn't the fastest guy, didn't have the best arm, didn't have this, that, and the other, but man, I worked. Yeah. And I worked and I worked and I worked. And, and I've talked to other people and they say he, he really did. He yeah. put in the work and became a great player. And I thought it was a shame, and it's not because he's my friend. I said this before. Are you going Hall of Fame? Yeah. I, mean, I, was gonna, I was just about to ask you that. I think that is one of the biggest cry. I mean, I think he's a legitimate 
borderline Hall of Famer Absolutely. is, and for him to not be on the ballot after one, one year, year is a farce. Well, I thought you know what I really thought was going to help him is that in the age of Sports Center and highlight shows and everybody in that era really watching that. And know, an increased premium placed on defensive metrics. Absolutely. And that's the other part. I, I thought, man, this guy, he's going to have a shot, you know, and not to get the votes for, to get off the ballot one year, I, I was just shocked. I, I, I think he was on the ballot in a bad year. And, and I think Roland, Roland might find the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, in my time doing games, I've never seen a better third baseman. Now, I think if I watched Arenado every night, yeah. I might say, okay, that guy's, right. yeah, he's, because he's made some plays against the Cardinals, I'm just like, this guy's unbelievable. But in my era of watching it, I've never seen a better third base. And that's, and that's rolling there. And rolling, I think, if he stays healthy, probably is. Jim, I think, is a legitimate borderline of him not to be on there. I'm hoping, like, and somehow the Veterans Committee thing, perhaps. But they take a harder look, whatever. But, yeah. but if you don't go, well, he was only on the ballot for one year. But if you look at the context, that ballot was a bad break. And I remember talking to Jim before it even happened. And he said, it's going to be tough because I'm going to be on the ballot the same year as Griffey goes on. Yep. It's going to be a compare and contrast, and it's going to make me look bad in comparison to Ken Griffey. Well, I'd love to take, I wish the voters would have taken a look at when Jimmy got to the Central and Ken Griffey Jr. got to the Central. Yeah, the world's uh, changed. Yeah, it was a pretty good deal for the Cardinals. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was really upset by that. I think he was too, but it's not his style to talk it about. It isn't. Complain, he's, he's not like that. But that was wrong. All right, let me take a look here at some of these. Are they uh, good questions? Yeah, there's a bunch coming in. That's why I'm trying to uh, see what we got here. I'm going to check my Twitter feed. Yeah, yeah, maybe there's something going on over on the Periscope one. I'll just have Facebook Live up in front of me. Uh, guys, I think Okendo will add a lot to this team, especially the young guys. What do you think? That comes from Mark Houston. I think I get asked more about Jose Okendo. I do too. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Than anybody else. So, for the Cardinals, for fans that don't know, I do a lot of the um, emceeing of the season ticket holder events and uh, you know the suite holder events and, and whatnot. So, I'm getting to the point of this where it goes to Okendo. So, a lot of times it's with John Mosellock. And so... I'll get up and I'll you know say what I got to say and then I'll introduce John and then we do a Q and A and we will open it up to the to the crowd these season ticket holders and John is great in these things because he wants to give them a little bit extra that maybe they're yeah. reading in the paper or hearing us talk about whatever and so I, I guarantee the the last two years that Jose was not here I bet we did thirty events and I bet Tim twenty five out of the thirty it was the question was asked about um, Jose and. Initially, I think the idea was, well, we have a good coaching staff, which those guys are really good at what they do. Um, so we're going to, you know, it's, it, we don't want to answer really the question to be disrespectful to those coaches. And the fact is, Jose wanted to be down. He had had some, some surgery and right. he wanted to be down here in Florida working with the young players. But by the end of like last year, I was like, man, there is no doubt this team missed Jose Okendo. And, and I'm not talking about waving guys in from third. I'm talking about the daily preparation that goes into helping a middle infielder, or any infielder for that matter, but middle infield specifically, and helping them do their job. And it's from uh, footwork, but it's also from positioning and understanding the guy that's on the mound, who's at the plate, studying video, what he's seeing in the game in the moment, yeah. and then telling a guy, you need to get a step or two this way, or you need to go this way. You need to be watching for this. I mean, he picks up little things like you wouldn't believe on infield defense. And so if someone asked me now that the Cardinals miss him, I would say there is no doubt in my mind. And I, I talked to him briefly today. I said, it's great to have you back. And he watched a lot of the games, and we had you yeah. know, a nice nice exchange. He's a wonderful guy. He used to play a ton of golf with him, too. Uh, hopefully that uh, Great golfer, I he's a, he, You know what? And, and you'd look at his stance, and it, you'd say, it's kind of like how he – Play baseball. Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of, that, yeah. kind of the open. Yeah, right. His hands are like so good, and he crushes the ball when he wants to play. And if he wants to go out and shoot par, he shoots par. Really, yeah, he's a really good player. How about that? Well, yeah. people are super excited about him. And were you surprised when Willie McGee decided I, to get? I was. Yes. Yeah. So you know, was I. I'm excited as a child of the '80s. Absolutely. But I was surprised. Willie told me. I said, "Well, what's your coaching philosophy, or what do you want to be as a coach? What do you want to do as a coach? You know, one of those kind of things." And he said. Look, I'm there every day, and if the guys want to come up to me and pick my brain and ask me what I think, I'm going to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And whether they like it or not, they're going to get my honest opinion And because the whole thing is about trying to make them better. So I think as we go along with this, and I talked to Willie today too, and he, I said, you ready to go home yet? He said, no. <laughs> he said, I, I knew what I was getting into. and uh, But it was so funny. Uh, he said, but Dan, 
you got to remember results driven business. We got to get we got to get some wins. You know, we got to play well. And Willie's just as humble as it gets, and it's not an act, and he's such oh, a good yeah. guy. But you know, I think if they if those players go to him, and it could be base running, it could be hitting, he's a batting champion, or it could be outfield play. I mean, he's he's as good a guy to go to as, as anybody, and that humble nature, I think, really resonated with uh, with some of the younger players. I remember talking to Harrison Bader last year, and I said, "What was?" He went down, he came back up, and I said, "What was the one thing you really wanted to, to get better at that you learned up at the major leagues?" Because that happens all the time. Like a guy will come up, games really fast for him, and then they go back down. And they're like, "It was unbelievable. It was a crash course in two weeks of what I uh-huh. haven't been experiencing for two years." And he said, Willie McGee was helping me so much in my base running and stealing a base on taking a lead, the proper lead, what to look for in, in the outfield defense, just things I never even thought about that he was able to kind of bring to the table. So I think that's just a, a little example of some of the, the, the little nuances of the game that probably he can help out with. Yeah, what a great addition to have both of them. You, by the way, who do you think is going to get the loudest ovation on opening day? It's, it's, it's Willie McGee. It's got to be Willie, right? It's the way that it is. It's just, and it's always that way. I did a banquet with Whitey Herzog. I emceed his. Um, am I boring you with this? No, no, no. I, I, I love. I love nineteen eighties Cardinals stories. Okay. So he had the uh, nineteen eighty seven team in last year. So it was this uh, whatever thirtieth anniversary. Yeah, 30th anniversary. anniversary. Yeah. So many of those guys were back, and Willie was back, and. Uh, I'm emceeing it. We're bringing everybody up, and so we finally get to Willie, and place is going wild. And uh, Whitey said, and I also did a fundraiser with Whitey and Willie um, about a month ago, and I brought it up again because I just wanted to make sure I heard it right. But he said, uh, Whitey said, I'm paraphrasing. You know, we've got so many great players from Pujols to Stan to Bob to Red. He said, I don't think there's been a more popular player ever in the history of the Cardinals than Willie McGee. And and that's, I mean, that is the statement of all statements. Yeah, to say that is saying something else, but he always gets the loudest ovation. People just appreciate it. I think he's synonymous with that era. And then also the 96 team, and and he stuck around, but then also just the humility. I think that's the thing people love. And he had had a signature moment in the World Series. A couple of moments, actually. And the three. 85 MVP, yeah. And, and that was like, like game home four. And, yeah, game three, took a home run away and hit two, I guess yeah. it was. And, oh, it was the best. Um, yeah, and, and I think any time that he was interviewed, and I always get in trouble when he's up on the stage and he starts to sweat. Oh, really? <laughs> he starts sweating. I said, Willie, we're going to take a break from you. We'll go to the next guy, you know. But that's him, you know. He's just a humble Genuinely wonderful man. That's yeah. awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled to see him around uh, camp. Uh, Dan, do you think the 2018 closer spot would be a revolving door? That comes from Andy Miller. It's got to play out, right? Yeah. I mean, I know on paper they're saying Gregerson, but you know the other thing you got to consider too. If something falls in their lap that's crazy, you do it. And I, and I think also you find out when you look back at the last couple of World Championship teams. I don't think anybody expected in 06 Adam Wainwright to close it out. I don't think anybody expected Jason Mott in 11 to close it out, right? It's a revolving situation, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I do think there might be a little bit more mixing and matching and not the traditional closer at the back end of games. But, again, it could go to that traditional closer. And I know I'm not really answering the question probably the way that um, – Caller, uh, that was Caller Andy. Caller Andy. Andy, Andy. Thanks Moore. for hanging up and listening. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I, I think yeah. you got to let it play out and give. If, if this is the team that you have in two months from now, and Gregerson's your guy, give him the first crack. And if things don't work out, then adjust accordingly. Yeah, I would imagine that uh, it is uh, fluid. I'm curious to see what they get uh, out of uh, Leone and also. Uh, if there is a scenario, and if, if there's a scenario in which Holland is still sitting out there, do you think they would go that direction? I, it, it'd probably be the better question. Well, twofold. One, where are you as a team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, the better question would be if if he is steadfast and he and his representation are saying, "Look, this is the this is the number we want," right? And we are going to wait until we get into the season, and we'll wait for injuries, and we'll wait for. Uh, scenarios like we were talking about, maybe somebody is not doing the, the job and not performing well, or a team says, you know what, the heck with it, we're going to load up our bullpen and we're going to pay the guy X. I mean, unless he's holding out for that, then, you know, it's going to be tough to get him if yeah. the Cardinals have a price tag on him that they think he's worth. He, uh, he's, he's continues to linger and fall out there, yeah. uh, and, and it makes me wonder if that would be a direction they would go if 
if he were still. I, I just think, you know, the one thing that there, there are question marks with the rotation, there's question marks in the bullpen. But I, I really like this lineup. I, I think the, the lineup's got a chance. Well, I think the outfield. I think the thing when you line up the outfield yeah. versus the Cubs outfield, you like that. The the infield, obviously, the Cubs have just an absurd infield, yeah. especially at the corners. And now the rotation, people see that. Um, and I, I just feel like if there was, I, you know, I wonder about this. And I feel like this off season, I could be wrong. The goal was Stanton. Even if it was a long shot, that was the goal. And, and in the conversations, you set yourself for, up for Yelich Rosum, as we saw play. Right. But I also really believe, and I could be wrong on this, that along with that Marlins outfield move, they were expecting to be able to get Josh Donaldson. And it just... Or maybe never, Longoria. Or too. potentially and Longoria. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that... My point is I think they were thinking they were going to get another bat and potentially solve the third base conundrum. Could have been. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, everything was on the table. Yeah. You know, and when you go into the winter meetings, it's it's so fluid that teams that you're not expecting jumping in, they jump in, all of a sudden you think, okay, now we got to shift gears, and now we got to go to plan B. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into plan C and plan D and plan D, and, you know, things happen like that. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Uh, let me take a look at a number of them. Dan Moore, leadoff at bats, Fowler, Carpenter. A lot of people uh, are enamored by who will hit leadoff because we've seen Carpenter perform so well at yep. leadoff, but Dexter Fowler was signed to be leadoff. What do you think will happen with that line? Well, if, if you stick to what they're saying, which is everybody's heard it probably by now, is that Fowler, they're going to give him the crack at the leadoff spot, move Carpenter down. Carpenter said time and again, it doesn't matter where I hit, I should hit. Um, I personally, me personally, I like Carpenter at the top, and I like Fowler as a middle-of-the-order guy, which I didn't expect. If, if you would have said a year ago, do you want him hitting third? I said, no way. I want him at the top of the lineup. But after I watched his swing and the fact that his swing is, I don't know if it's changed. I, I want to talk to him about this, but he's getting more lift, mm-hmm. and he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Maybe that's his career path to go from being a leadoff guy now to a more of a power-hitting cor- you know, corner mm-hmm. outfielder. But Here's what I think, too. I think he signed a guy to play center field. You gave him over $80 million. You gave him a five-year deal. Well, now you've moved him from center field, it looks like. Tommy Pham will be your center fielder. Then you'd say, well, we're now, now we're going to move you from the leadoff spot, too. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, these are human beings, too. And, and I'm assuming that he would like that chance to lead off. And Carpenter one probably wants the chance to show, hey, it doesn't matter where I hit. I'm going to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on numbers alone, I, I really like that where Carpenter was a year ago and the numbers he puts up and consistently puts up as a leadoff man and what Fowler did down in the order is I just thought it was a plus-plus. Yeah, I, he wound up really uh, performing well and surprisingly with those power numbers as well. Uh, this was one that he really got a lot of criticism last year, and understandably so, because of the dollars he got last year, and that's Brett Cecil. Uh, Ian Pritchard asking what kind of a year to be better this year. Brett Cecil had. I, when I did the interview with Matheny for the podcast, he felt like it just was off all year and, yep. and the Cardinal fans are going to see a much different guy. Now, Mike always is coming from A, he's the manager to B, an optimistic perspective. Uh, but for whatever reason, and he didn't necessarily want to go into details, he just felt like the guy that Cardinal fans saw last year uh, is a different guy than they will see in 2018. Well, I agree. And I also felt that he put a lot of pressure on himself with new city, new league, new contract, a lot of money. Expected to get both lefties and righties out, gets off to the slow start, then it snowballs, right? Mm-hmm. And with bullpen guys, I just, I'm a firm believer in this. You can never, ever, ever predict bullpen guys. And so I would assume that the Cardinals would get a better pitcher than they saw last year. And the fact is, is that when they looked at this guy, the, the the numbers, the analytics, the metrics showed you he was going to be better than he was. Mm-hmm. So let's see it come back to where it's probably supposed to be. Uh, more questions coming in. They're coming in. They're coming in fast and furious. People seem to think that should they miss the playoffs for a third straight season, Matheny could be out of the job. What are your guys' thoughts? Um, from my perspective, pressures on everybody. I think that this is one of the first years that I can recall in my career. Uh, where I come down here and go, oh yeah, I guess if this doesn't work out, there would be changes. And I guess Larusa didn't, because you're going back to what ninety seven, ninety eight. I was doing features. Okay, yeah, and okay. then ninety nine doing play by play. So yeah, with Larusa from basically the get go. Yeah, I don't think. I, I mean, and I wonder if you would maybe two thousand. He was under the gun a bit. I thought going into the two thousand season, they had was, to have a good year there. because you got to remember because they went out and got Kyle. 
Edmonds. Now Edmonds, uh, Vina. Was Renneria here in '99? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Vina. Yep. Let's see, Renneria here '99. Yeah, because the Marlins fire sale was in '98 because they won the World Series. So, and that was Brady Looper deal. And in 97, you know, first of all, the strike of 95 hits. 96, they come back and they win the division. 97, you had McGuire, when you got him at the trade deadline, he goes nuts, they're packing right. the place. Next year, he hit 70, they're packing right. the place. Next year, hit 65 yep. in 99. And, and people, it wasn't like the, the fun had worn out, but people were like, it's cool, I love it, it's great, but let's, let's win. win. Yeah, let's win. And that's when... And I, I always have said this to organizations credit and I'm you know, I'm a rights holder, but uh they they were making a lot of money, people coming through the turnstiles and you know, they put it back into the product. I mean they, they went out and spent a lot of money and that became a very good the start of a very good nucleus of players. So I felt if there was ever pressure on Tony and I, I it was probably going into that season, yeah. but I, I never felt just because of his record and you know, these are smart baseball men. They probably realized, you know what, you're you're only as good as the players you get, right? Mm-hmm. And that the player the players probably weren't good enough when you had Rick Crowshore closing oh, yeah. games out, and you wow. know, and that's not to yeah, say Brian Augustine and a Rich Crowshore. Rick Crowshore. Rick was it Rick? Yes, Rick Crowshore. I apologize. I know he's streaming on uh, Larry Lubers at one. Larry point. Lubers. Uh, Travis Smith was brought in. I at remember one point. T Smith. Yeah. yeah. So I mean. He, you're as good as the players, right? right. So I, I think you know most people believe, hey, Tony's really good. Uh, maybe if he feels pressure, it might be this year because they were a better team. But you know, uh, going back to what this gentleman is asking about Matheny, I think look, it's a good team. It's probably is it going to get better as we go along, probably. And is there pressure on him? I'm sure he feels pressure yeah. because they haven't gotten in for the last two years. Yeah, I asked him about that point blank. Uh, we sat down. I guess it was two weeks ago at this point. Yeah, two weeks, uh, fifteen days ago. And he said, "Listen, I hear it. I know it." Uh, and he told the story. And if people haven't listened to the podcast yet, yet. Uh, Is this with the uh, couple leaving the restaurant? Yeah, how about yeah. that? Where the couple's leaving the restaurant, he holds the door, and the, the wife says, he looks familiar. <laughs> and the husband says, oh, don't hold the door for that loser. And it's he nice. laughed about yeah, it. It's great. And he said his daughter was with him, and his daughter was, you know, very irritated, to say the least, to see that. And he goes, honestly, I'm not surprised by this, because I saw it with Tony. Right, and you may remember this. I think it happened at spring training. Mike said it happened in St. Louis. But it was a banner. The banner. Yeah. So I don't know if you were calling that game. So it was a spring training game. I don't think we were. I think I was here though. I remember seeing it. Like something like save the our Cardinals, right. fire Larusa and Jockey or something right. like that. And I think it was 2000. I don't know which year it was. I, I had it was going in. It was like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it was in early 2000s. It obviously wasn't you know after 2004. Uh, but the point being, Matheny's sitting there thinking to himself, oh my God, here's a guy who had the success he's had. Matheny's obviously bigger, right. which means they had a good year in 2000. They won the division and they went to the NLCS right. where they lost to the Mets. And he sees what can happen. And so he goes, I knew this was coming when I took the job. It's, you you so, sign up for it. Right. You sign up for the criticism. You, you, you know. But I mean, it's certainly cliche. You've got to say, well, you got to have thick skin. I mean, but you're still a human being. Right. right you know? I, yeah, come on. I, I, and I think, you know, he also made reference to how, uh, I don't know what the right word would be for his post-game press conferences, uh, how just blah they are. His, you know, he was laughing about how when he goes to speak to people, he apologizes for just how terrible they yeah. are because they're so... I've seen him do that. <laughs> and, and he said, but Joe Torrey, right when he was hired, told him, don't don't allow yourself to get too high or too low in these press conferences, right. so keep it close to the best. And I don't know how he does it, because I get fired up. Yeah, I don't know how it's... You're able I can to only imagine it. what it's like for him. Right. You know? But but I but I also think if people saw more of the fire that we know he has, I think they would like that. Along the lines of, I feel like once La Russa, uh led that 2002 team, you know, Jack Buck passing, yeah. you know, Daryl Kyle passing a week later... Uh, I feel like at that point, a lot of people who still were somewhat skeptical, even though they had a great run in You know what really helped him, though? Not to interrupt you, yeah, but good. you know what I think really, really helped him? Um, was doing his Sunday KMOX radio oh, yeah. show. Yeah. Now, if you were, and I, I was working at KMOX, so I was listening a lot to it, but he would get those adversarial calls. And, you know, hey, Tony, why did you do this yesterday in the fifth inning? I mean, I've been around, you know, watching baseball for 60 years, and that's not Cardinal baseball and blah, 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 blah. 
And he would say, sir, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your passion. But let me explain why I did it. Yeah. And you'd listen to his explanation. And you go, okay, I may not agree with it, but that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I see what he was, he was doing. And I, I do think he won fans over with that. I definitely think uh, the year that you're talking right. about, you know, my goodness. I mean, to keep that team together, right. much less win, was incredible. But then it was a, such a fun, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was such a fun time to be a fan or to be around the ball club at that point because you had the emergence of Bulls, Edmonds in his prime, Roland in his prime, right. Larry Walker comes on board yeah. of a team that's winning 105 games or whatever it was. I mean, that team was fun. Uh -huh. Chris Carpenter was emerging again. I mean, it was just a fun, fun team to watch, and they would go out and obliterate the, the rest of the yeah. league. And I think that's what – winning solves so sure. much. I mean, it, it just solves so much, you know. I mean, that's the thing. If, if the Cardinals were coming off a couple of winning seasons in terms of playoff – Playoff seasons, yeah. Um, you know, we're not having the conversation of what are they doing with their bullpen and do you think the rotation's going to be okay. There might be some of that, but it wouldn't be nearly as much as we're hearing – out in the public because it's out there right now. It is. Uh, with regard to the, the 2004 team, I always say when you look at the World Series starting rotation of that team, uh, it was Woody Williams who had thrown a bunch of pitches in Game 5 in Houston on Monday night. World Series Game 1 was on Saturday night. Matt Morris who was on short rest, if I'm not yep. mistaken. And then it was Supon famously getting caught off third base in Game 3 and then Jason Marquis. And to think that that was the rotation for a 105-win team that tells you how important Chris Carpenter was, but right. he entered his oblique and he was out for the postseason. That's right. I think that's a game changer there. The reason why I bring that up is I'm curious of all the teams you've called, and you've called some great Cardinal teams. Is that the team that you go? Oh, four. That was that was yeah. that was the best. That was the best. Oh, four was really good. Um, Twelve was really good. Twelve was really good. Twelve was a good team. Twelve was a good team. Uh, Thirteen was a good team. But I, I, I think when you look back. I'd have to say the early 2000 teams are the best. But out of all of them that I've seen, 04 was the yeah. best. I mean, when you look at that lineup. They just rolled through. And they started that year, if memory serves correct, 15 and 15. Now yeah, think about they, that. Did. they did. They did. I remember doing the show and talking about that. You know, yeah. I mean, you're a 500 team after one month and then get 100-plus wins. Yeah. I'll never forget the day that they got Larry Walker. I mean, so the trade deadline is come and gone or whatever it was, and... Uh, they said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, in the press box, uh, the Cardinals have an announcement. They uh, have acquired the rights to Larry Walker. You know, it wasn't like Joe Smith, and you're like, hold on, wow. <laughs> Larry Walker. I mean, the guy in yeah. that guy. Yeah. And uh, when you added him to that outfield, it was like, wow, it was unbelievable. It was. If you pull up a lineup from 2004, and you see, especially after August when Walker came. You know, I, that's like one of the Reggie only, Sanders was twenty twenty, right, right? And no one talks about right. it. And he was and like was hitting like seventh. Right. You know, I mean, it was nuts. The only like light bat in that lineup was Matheny. Like, he was a Gold Glove catcher. But it started with Womack, and then I think Renneria, and then you had the MV three in there, and then you had Walker. And oh yeah, now we're getting right. Reggie Sanders. Right. right. I mean, it's just it was it was insane. It's such a shame that that team ran into that Red Sox team when he did. The team that I always talk about that I feel like flies under the radar that was one of my favorites, but they got swept in the playoffs with the 09 team because that was the only time team. you ever had, ever had Carpenter and Wainwright healthy yes. at the same time, two of the top three in their, their primes, young, in their primes uh, along with Pujols, Holiday, yeah. and Ryan Ludwig uh, was a force at that time. They had acquired Mark DeRosa, and he was kind of banged up uh, after he came here. But I always felt like that team was a Ryan Franklin great. was an all-star closer yeah. that year. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I hate saying it, but I mean, the, if Holiday makes that ball, the series is 1-1 going back to St. Louis. Right. So probably a different uh, scenario. Yeah. As far as games that stand out to you that you have called, uh, because the game that everybody thinks about when they think of the Cardinals, especially recent history, of course, is Game 6 of the World Series. You're not on right. the World Series call, but as far as a game, would it be that 11 run? Was there something in there, or would there be the, the, Matt, Holl you, the Matt Holiday call I love that game. Up from two years ago was just sick? Uh, I love that game. Um, a lot of it has to do with like personal feelings towards a player. And I always say this, like you, you try to call a game and be... Uh, Fair to everybody, right? I mean, whether the guy's good to you or not, and for the most part, man, I, I've been very lucky, knock on wood, and we've had very good players and people that I have to deal with. Now, how they are other places, I can't attest to that, but I just know how they deal with me. 
Um, but Holiday was a guy that I got to know, and I, I really liked him. Um, I got to know his family. I got to know his wife. I got to know a lot about his charitable side and helped with some of the things that yeah. he was doing. And I so around the club, and I, I told this on Jim's cat chat, uh, around the club at that time, some of us that were affiliated with the team knew he was not coming back, but it was not made public. So I knew that they were trying some way, somehow, to get him a final appearance before the fans in St. Louis. And whether that meant running out the left field and coming right. in or pinch running or whatever, last thing in my mind is that this guy is going to hit. And not only does he hit, he looked kind of bad in the at bat, yeah. too, in the beginning. And he's got tears and, yeah. and places going nuts, and I get goosebumps thinking about it. And he hits the home run. And it was just, it was like, that's why, it sounds so cliche, and I can't believe, that's why you love sports, Right. I mean, that's why you give the underdog and, and you say, that was cool. Mm -hmm. That was a neat moment. But um, favorite moments along the way, I mean, something like David Freeze's stuff. I got to know David on a personal level for various reasons. And seeing him have success in the major leagues was really cool. I mean, just, and then his game was just the, the, the best ever. I have to think about that. Let yeah. me think of, like, my favorite game. Yeah. I always have favorite moments. moments. But my favorite, I'll tell you a great one was, I guess Carpenter won the Cy Young in 05. Right. And in September, Houston has Roger Clemens, and he's having a good year. And those two matched up. And I remember billing it as, and you know how we are on TV, you're going to try to really build sure, it up. And, you know, you want people to watch the game, whatever. Uh, and I remember I said, who wins this game might win the Cy Young Award. Yeah. And Carpenter was awesome. I mean, he was just his vintage Chris Carpenter. And that was a cool game to yeah. call. I thought his game back in Toronto for the first time, uh, yeah. that was neat. Yeah. Seeing him go back to the team that originally drafted him, they cut him loose. Uh -huh. Here he, you know, they gave up on him essentially, and here he comes back and he throws a one hitter. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. I thought going against the Cardinals, one of the neatest human sides of a game that I've ever seen. And then I talked to him afterwards with Terry Collins, but. Seeing Johan Santana, am I boring you guys with this? No, I'm, I'm enamored by it. Okay. I know which direction you're going here. So the Santana no hitter, going? the Santana no hitter was, I thought, one of the neatest games of human drama of a of a baseball. It was like watching um, what's the movie with Kevin Costner and he's going through the, with Detroit. And he's oh the, yeah, game, uh, game of a uh, game of their life or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Vince Scully's doing the narration yeah. of the movie and all that. Um, <clears throat> it reminded me of that for the love of the game. For the love of the game. Because when I'm watching him, I know, uh, and I've talked to the other broadcasters, I've talked to other people around, and, and they're like, man, Santana, you know, is, he's coming back. But, you know, to see him even pitching is really a great story. I mean, he's, he's had so many injuries and what's going on with his shoulder and whatnot. And we kept taking a shot at Terry Collins, and he's pacing up and down the dugout. And I remember saying... You know, this this could be it. Like, you know, he's he's now over 100 pitches. Now he's at 110. Now he's at 120. And I said on the air, I said, there is no way that Johan Santana is going to get that ball taken out of his hands. Terry Collins probably right now is praying for a base hit yeah. just to get him out because you know what the aftermath on his arm and body might right, be. Right, right. But you're on the cusp of history. Is that organization? First ever no-hitter. Right. And... Terry, I, I, so next spring training, I saw him. I said, we had a shot of you. I said, and the game's going on. Did you have tears in your eyes? I said, it looked like you were crying. He said, yes, I did. He said, I was emotional. Through, it was an emotional wreck from basically the sixth inning on because I knew something was going on special. I can't take the ball out of his hands, but yet we have something of a milestone and a memory and a moment that will never, ever be forgotten for one of the great pitchers ever in the history of this game. I couldn't take him out, but it was just so I was overcome with emotion. Wow, it was really. Cool. I didn't know that uh, was going on with him at the time. Oh yeah, his shoulder I think was tore up. Well, I knew about Santana. You know, Collins was. Oh, it was, was a wreck. Yeah, he was just. He was. It was. He said his stomach was just in knots yeah. because you know you're trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. You know, am I? If I take him out, I might be saving. And he never was the same after that game. He by was the way. not. He was not. And he knows more than anybody outside of Santana how banged up his body is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you take him out of the game. You're saying, well, if I take him out at 90 pitches and it's the sixth inning, you know, you're always left to wonder what if. Right. But if I keep him in, it's history. Right. How am I going to tell this guy? Right. 
who's been through the war, so to speak, to, to come out of the game. And so that's what made that game like so dramatic in doing it. And by the way, it shouldn't have been a no hitter. Carlos Beltran. Yeah, it was yeah. a fair ball. That was a fair ball. <laughs> but that's beside. But that's beside <laughs> the point. Uh, let me take a look in here and see what we got. Uh, people love the call on the uh, Matt Holiday. Uh, that holiday. Maybe people can remind me of some fun games too. There were, were you on the call to come back in Cincinnati? Ah, that was a good one. That was a good one. I was thinking. Let me tell you, it seems like every time we go to Cincinnati, there is. I love going to that ballpark. There is always dramatic stuff it's going nuts, on. It's man. nuts. It's kind of like the chorus field of the Midwest because you know an eight nothing lead can, so, can get a hit. They gave me a lot of the, the guys in the truck. Our our crew and our television crew. I don't, it, I don't want to bore No, I, I love this. Is, this is the kind of stuff people want. So they, this is the kind of stuff people want. They, this is the kind of stuff I'm interested in. They give me trouble all the time. Who is this? Who are these people? I, I, uh, I think I know. This some would be our director, our producer, uh-huh. our graphics guy. They all can get in my ear during a game. Sometimes I can tell when they're giggling, especially like, like especially Edmonds, because they'll start giggling, oh, and I'm like, "What's on here?" I know what's going on there, and I'll text him like something asinine because I know something's going on. So it was Mabry's home run, mm-hmm. um, and I think at three games there, like right off the bat, well, actually there's been like four at the old ballpark. There was a JD Drew home run that he hit late in like '99 or 2000 uh-huh. at the old Synergy Field that was getting halfway torn down. Oh, yeah. But then that's the the one that comes back to mind is Mabry hit the home run, yep. and I said they're going wild down there, <laughs> crazy, you know. And I just looked down at the dugout and they're jumping around like kids. I mean, it was just cool to see. And then anytime we're starting to come back in a game, I'll get in my ear. <laughs> be trouble about it. But then I also think about Jimmy's catch. That's one of my favorite. Oh yeah. And, and his catch over the wall might be the greatest catch I've ever seen in person. Um, and Jimmy's actually told me, he's like, I love the call on that, which yeah. is kind of cool, too. And then um, there was a game at Pujols against David Weathers. They came back by, like, five or six runs and it did it again. And it just it happened to be, I think they, they wound up either making a mistake, clearly pitching to him. But I think they rolled the dice either with that or the bases became loaded and they couldn't put him on. Yeah. But he wound up hitting a dramatic home runs. But we've always had crazy games in that ballpark. And the fight. The fight that comes by 2010. Jason I always Rue, say this too. My favorite Rue. part ever, and if you ever watch the games, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a massive humanity. There's Cueto flailing away, and you know Carpenter and Rolling and all this stuff. And then all through this, you see a little guy crawling through, <laughs> and it's Jeff Supod through somebody's legs or something. It just cracks me up every time I see it. I love it. He was. We thought he was out of the game, and now he's right. back in the game, and now he's crawling out from right. under a. Uh, you can't see anything except this fish <laughs> by crawling through somebody's <laughs> I, legs. I'm done playing this game. I don't need this crap. Hey, you bought up pools, and I uh, was reading one of Derek Gould's chats, and my God, I would recommend those things. But the They're detail, great. holy crap. But uh, he was talking, people were asking about pools and the angels and the schedule, and I believe next year. Next year. Yeah. What do you think? You'll be on the call of it. What do you think that moment will be like? It'll be. Uh, Awesome. And I, I think maybe, and I've thought about this a lot, yeah. too, because I think in some ways it might be closure for both. Yeah. Um, and also a celebration of, of his career. I think enough time has passed where yeah, people are like, years at that point. Yeah, you know, people are like, hey, man, he went his direction. It's just the way it went. It, you know, it's sad it didn't work out. I often think, uh, Tim McCarver and myself were on a game, and I brought it up. I said, hey, we talk about random stuff all the time. but I, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Yeah. And I, I said... You ever thought what it might be like in the pools? I think it just hit his 600th or something like that. Uh, what it would have been like for him to do that in a Cardinal uniform? And he said, yeah, I have, because I saw Stan and I played with Bob and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it, as a fan and as a broadcaster, certainly I would have loved to have called those moments. Um, but, it, it, you know, then you wouldn't have had Piscotty and Walker and the rest is history. And who knows who you could have signed long-term with Molina and Wainwright. So, I mean, things worked out in a, in a crazy way. But it would have been, I think, fabulous for the city and for a baseball town to see, quote-unquote, a mid-market team, if you want to call the Cardinals that, uh, have a player of that caliber finish his career in one place. Mm-hmm. You just don't see that in sports. I mean, my goodness, when you see... Guys like LeBron James jumping around, you think that that's just how does that happen, right? right? And right. he was on that level in baseball, and so I, I do think about it what it would have been like. And so, in terms of next year, 
And this is where I think baseball has made a mistake. And I, I brought this up, as a matter of fact, yesterday. I said, if Derek Jeter would have left the Yankees and signed with whatever team, it doesn't matter, you think Major League Baseball would have found a way in interleague yeah. play to make sure that they get back? Right. When we've been out to L.A. twice since he's been gone, right? Right. Yeah. And, and to me, that just doesn't make sense, and it's a it's a, a bad oversight not to have him back in St. Louis. And, and um, so hopefully he plays next year, knock on wood, and he's healthy enough to take at bats and all that good yeah. stuff and does something miraculous probably. But I, I do think the reception will be one that is one that we've never seen right. in that ballpark. In that ballpark. I, I, don't, I, I can't think of, you know, Freeze, when he came back, I was really looking forward to it, and I think we had gone to, like, uh, he was leading off, and it was like a long commercial break, and people kind of didn't know, know yeah, what was I going on. That, yeah. uh, with Pujols, though, you're going to know what's yeah, going on, yeah. and, and that part will be just... I think fantastic. Uh, so many people have been asking questions. Uh, Dan and I are going to be doing this throughout spring training. Uh, Derek Gould will be with me. I think the next one we're going to do is Tuesday, and then uh, Dan will be back, and we'll do this again next week. And when is the first game on Fox Sports Midwest? Do you guys have any games? Uh, 15 games, spring training, and the first one is a week from tomorrow, How which is... That? That's, that's so quick because the guy's on the lead for It's unbelievable. February 23rd will be our first telecast. Sweet. That'll be awesome. Who will so be, really, be on the car with you for this? For, is it, is it going to be a uh, variety or will be? Yeah, we got a variety of guys. Should I, do I have time to go through of all course, this? Okay, of course. Okay, so we got Rick Horton, Al Roboski, uh Brad Thompson. I think he's going to be outstanding. I do too. I think he's, he's going to be fun. Outstanding. Ricky and Keel. Uh, uh, who lives, what, 15 minutes from Yeah, we're trying to line him up so we can, well, not we, I'm going to make him take me fishing. <laughs> uh, and Todd Hollinsworth, we do a shared game <clears throat> with Miami, and so I do the play-by-play, -play and they give us an analyst, and we do the game together. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of fun, because you get the perspective of both sides, yeah. and, and, you know, and Todd uh, Todd's great, so that, that kind of stuff is fun. Yeah. I would also advise anybody, if you want us to do this nightly and you're a business owner, we'll find a way to get you on the backdrop, too. Just let us picture right yeah, here. Yeah, we'll just get you anywhere you right want. Here. I can picture right here. I can wear your logo. I'll take the Ireland off. We'll take tattoos. I thought I would wear the Ireland thing with Dan and I here, too. Mick's <laughs> doing the show. thought I would do that. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be doing this, and you're welcome. And it'll be on the podcast uh, feed as well if uh, you want to drive around and listen to it as well. We enjoy having all the questions. The spring goes on. Uh, one of the more intriguing springs that we have seen for the Cardinals in a very long time. Uh, and Dan and I will be talking about it once a week. And Dan and I will be talking about it. We'll look forward to your questions as well. Thank you to Design Air Heating and Cooling. I'm a client of Design Air. Doug Vaughn is a client of Design Air Heating and Cooling. Uh, they are the number one train dealer in the Midwest. Soon I will be. Train. And, and Dan will soon. be soon yeah. Design Air Heating and Cooling since they're all over the backdrop here. Uh, but uh, when it does warm up in St. Louis, please make sure you're doing business with Design Air Heating and Cooling because they're making this whole Facebook Live Periscope adventure possible. So support the sponsors as always, Design Air Heating and Cooling. Dan, thanks so much for dropping by the home office. Enjoy, man. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Thanks. And thank you to everybody for tuning in here on Live from Spring Training in Jupiter, Florida. There it is. Fun for the whole family.